Welcome once again. We are continuing on in our series where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, today we find ourselves in chapter 10. So if you are following along with us, they'll be on the screens at home as you're watching. Uh, but if you want to follow along in a, in a, on your phone or a physical Bible, we'll be in um, chapter 10, verse 23. And we'll be going through the end of the chapter plus the first verse in chapter 11. Let me read this passage. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who has informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whatever, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything, I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ." Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for this book that we've been going through. I pray as we look at it for the next few minutes now, I ask that you would change our minds, you would change our hearts, you would change the way um, we live throughout the week. And I pray that in everything that we, we read and we study it, we recognize these are your words. This is your book. This is your revelation of yourself to us. And so I pray as we read it and we understand it, we remember these are your very words. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. One thing, one thing that really characterized my early days of my faith, especially late in high school when I became a follower of Jesus and really throughout the rest of college, is I had this faith that really was dependent upon big moments, experiences, events. Um, and so looking back on that time, I have come to realize and recognize that I kind of depended upon these things to get me from, from phase to phase of my life, whether it was a camp, whether it was a, a worship um, environment on campus, whether it was um, a, a, a teaching from my favorite teacher, whatever it was, I tend to look for the next thing and get excited for the next thing because I knew it would give me the, that shot I needed to continue to um, kind of move forward in my faith. And that's, these things aren't all bad, but um, it's, it, they're really incomplete when we go from, and I think we all do this, we gravitate towards the big, the intense, the experiential, and we often um, use those things to try to help us get to the next thing. And then we look for the next thing um, to get us through that. 
Um, those of you who are college students, um, I think there's, there, this is uh, common on campus, right? You can go to almost a different big worship service every night of the week. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but if, you're, if your faith and your, your faith is dependent upon those things and you tend to think about your faith as how are you feeling at the current moment, which is what I used to do, um, I, would, I would say, how am I doing with God? Well, it was dependent upon how I felt. And usually how I felt was dependent upon how, how recent I went to one of these things. Maybe if you're someone who is not in college, maybe you attend Providence Road every Sunday and you kind of use Sunday morning for this, right? You go to Sunday morning and you kind of hope that gets you until the next Sunday morning. And again, um, Sunday morning service um, is important, right? It's important what we do here, but there are so many other things, so many other hours in a given week that you are called and we are called to live our faith out between church services, Our vision here at Providence Road is to glorify God by finding freedom and joy in Jesus. And we want to lead people into that. So we have this this, this phrase there, glorify God. And one of the main passages that we get that from is from 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Paul says this. This is really the main pointer idea of this whole passage. He says, so, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? This, is a, this is a big deal for Paul. And one of the things that we, we need to recognize in this verse is when he says, whether you eat or drink. And if you think of eating and drinking, these are normal, everyday things. Right? These are mundane things. These aren't these wow moments. We Most of us eat or we drink every single day. We do it multiple times a day. Maybe not as much as, as breathing or as much as working or studying in just sheer hours or minutes, but we eat or drink a lot. And then he says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So I think Paul is trying to get us to understand, really, how do we glorify God in the mundane? How do we glorify God when things are, are boring, when things are just kind of normal in our day in and day out lives? So that's really our, our point of today's uh, sermon, is how do we glorify God in the mundane or in the boring. And I think we're going to have three kind of phases as we move through this. The first thing we need to do is define glory. Like, what is glory? We throw that out a lot as Christians to glorify. We kind of throw that out, and um, we really need to define that. We really need to understand what does it mean, what do we mean when we say glory or to glorify something. The second thing Paul does here um, that we're going to do is look at um, examples of how to glorify God in the mundane. And Paul gives us three examples, actually, as he's walking through this passage with the church in Corinth. And the third thing we're going to look at is how do we do this? And we do this by looking to Jesus, by focusing on Jesus, by knowing Jesus, by believing in Jesus, by obeying Jesus, by following Jesus. This is how we glorify God in the mundane, is by focusing on Jesus. And Paul gets to that at the end of this passage. So, number one, what does it mean to glorify something? Or what does this idea of glory mean? To glorify, the definition of it is to magnify, to show what something is truly like, to publicly praise, honor, and give fame to, or light something up brilliantly. So you can imagine um, this, that, that think, of, um, think of a telescope and looking at the planets, right? So when we look at planets, if you remember a uh, few months ago, um, December, you had the, this was the year of this, the, the kind of the new Christmas start, people were calling it, where, 
where Saturn and Jupiter lined up, where you could kind of see both in one shot. It was extra bright in the sky. And we, we normally can't see those things with any sort of detail unless you get a high, really high-powered telescope. But this was uh, the location and the timing and everything lined up to where you could get some pretty cool shots. And I saw several of them um, online of, of, of these two planets coming really close together. So it's taking something that is massive, that is huge, and bringing it down to where we can see it and we can understand it and know what it is truly like gets to magnify it, to show what something is truly like. We do this all the time. We do this all the time. We, some of us do it with our family, right? Like we, we magnify our family. We talk highly of our family in public. And we're, what we're doing when we glorify something I, with my family, let's say, I'm trying to communicate to the people around me what my family is truly like. I enjoy my family. I love my family. So I talk about my family and make much of my family so people will have an idea of what my family is truly like. We do this with food. We do this with the favorite restaurants, favorite types of food. We, we go to a new restaurant and we glorify that restaurant. We glorify that food to other people so other people can understand uh, what it was that we experienced, what it was that we tasted in that restaurant. You could, this could happen with sporting events or games we watch. The next day, like, hey, did you see that last night? We're, we're glorifying things when we're doing it. We're magnifying it. We're, we're shining a spotlight on those things. And this is what it means to actually glorify God. And we know that God is truly the only one in the universe who is deserving of that glory, that the perfection that he brings, he is truly the one who is worth glorifying. And what Paul, is gonna, what Paul understands as he walks through this passage is he understands that a big part of us glorifying God is how we interact with the world around us. We'll call it the horizontal world, how we interact with other people, how we interact with the things of this world. How we interact with those things actually determines how well um, we do at actually glorifying God. Commentator Stephen Um says this about glory. He says, the shape of our lives is meant to make the beauty of God light up brilliantly to those around us. So he gets at this idea that, that we're like a spotlight where we're walking around shining the light on God. Or it's like God shining on us and we're like the diamond that, that, that he shines into our life and we kind of refract that light to different ways and in different spheres to different people. This is what to glorify something means. Now, I want to set the context for this passage, right? Because we looked at verse 31 there, but this is a larger passage, and so I want to talk about the context here. There was, in verse 21, um, this, was, this was last week's, in last week's um, um, sermon, and Jay talked about this the last couple weeks, actually. But one of the things that he says there in the previous passage is he talks about that we shouldn't um, dine or, or, or kind of come to the table with demons, right? Like, we can't do that. So that, that's a prohibition from Paul to the Christians in Corinth, like, you can't worship in pagan temples. Like, that's, that's something we are not free to do as followers of Christ. And that was very common, this temple culture, especially the pagan temples of that day. Um, but we'll see that there were, there were sacrifices made in temples, animals that would be sacrificed, and then they would be left there. So they, people would take that, those animals and, and, and create meat out of them, right? And, and, and serve meat and sell meat in the marketplace for people to buy and go home and enjoy. So that food wouldn't be wasted. So that's the, the context and kind of the, some of the examples Paul uses will be coming out of this idea of food and the temple, which we've seen the last few chapters. So let's look at verse 23. Go back kind of up to the beginning of the passage and let's read verse 23. Paul says this, all things are lawful, 
but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And Paul starts off with this, and it's in quotes in the scripture. It's all things are lawful, which is what he's saying here. He's hearing people say this. The church in Corinth, people are kind of going around saying, yeah, all things are lawful now because of their freedom in Christ. People were enjoying their freedom in Christ. They were thinking, I can kind of do anything now. I'm free. I'm not under the law anymore. I'm free to kind of do what I want to do. And Paul would say, um, because of the radical grace of God, yes, we're no longer under the law anymore. And to some degree, yes, there is some truth to say um, um, all things are lawful for me to do. But what he'll say is it ultimately doesn't matter what we are free to do. The question is, is what is what we do helpful? Are the things that we're free to do, are those things actually helpful? Do what we do build others up? So the question is not, am I free to do something? The question is, are the things I'm free to do, do those things build people up? Do they, are they helpful to other people? These could be things, anything that God has given us. Right? This could be food. This could be entertainment. This could be our jobs. Anything that God has given us, those things can be used to kind of glorify ourselves they can, they can be used to kind of, they can be uh, abused by us, or they can be used in the context of building others up or encouraging other people. The model of freedom that Christ gave us, which we'll see here in a second, that this is a freedom that it, it does, does not mean that we're free to seek our own good now. So when we say we're free in Christ, it doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want to do now or free to seek our own good. It means to be free in Christ in such a way that one can truly seek to benefit and build up another person. I want to say that again. Using the model of freedom that Christ gave us, freedom does not mean freedom to seek my own good. It means to be free in Christ in such a way that one can truly seek to benefit and to build up another person. So we've experienced this freedom. We find our joy in Jesus. We find our value in Jesus. We find our freedom in Jesus. We have those things, and so now we can give up our freedoms to love and to build up and to serve other people because we don't need to, to go out and, 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 and get ours or find those things and be selfish and find those things that terminate on us. We want to be able to lay our freedoms down because we have the ultimate, we're connected and united to the ultimate um, source of freedom and joy, and that's Jesus. So now we can lay our lives down for the sake of other people. Listen to verse 24. This is Paul kind of um, uh, re, um, kind of describing verse 23, you could say. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. He's simply saying, hey, don't look, don't look after yourself. Don't be selfish. Look after others' needs as well. And I thought this, this passage in James fit in really well. James 4, 1 through 2, um, I believe it'll be on your screen, but if it's not, here it is. It says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? So why can't you get along with other people, James is saying? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Ultimately, what James is saying there is the reason why you have fights with others, you can't get along with others, you have conflict with others, because you have passions inside of you. You have things that you want. You have things that you feel like you deserve. And if you don't get those things, or if people are preventing you from getting what you think you want, you're going to fight with them. There's going to be conflict. And that's because there's these passions that, and, and things that we think we deserve that we don't get. And he says, we, therefore, we, we murder Obviously, he's going to an extreme there, but we hate, we get angry, we want to we fight and get what is ours. And so Paul, again, he's just reminding us, let no one seek his own good, 
but the good of his neighbor. That's a governing principle when we talk about what does it mean to glorify God. Don't look after your own good, but the good of, your, good of others, the good of your neighbor. Um, so one of the simple ways, one of the practical steps out of this, this, this passage is stop looking to your own self-interest. Stop focusing on yourselves. Look for the moments throughout the day that you can serve others. When you're out grocery shopping and you're out kind of doing your things, right, running your own errands, kind of look up. Look at those around you. Ask, how could I help people in small, tangible ways? I'm not talking necessarily about the wow moments that may, might be newsworthy, right, or you get your name in the paper for something. I'm not talking about those types of help. I'm just talking about um, the, the person who checks you out or your or waiter or waitress at the, at the restaurant. Like, do you smile? Do you say hello? Do you say, how's your day going? Do you tell them, hey, you're doing a really good job? I know this is an easy, an easy job, but you're doing a good job. It may mean something simple as holding the door open for someone. Like, how can we take the focus off of ourselves in the mundane, everyday moments of our lives? How can we glorify God? How we can take the spotlight off ourselves, shine it on God by how we love and treat others? So now, starting in verse 25, Paul gives us three scenarios. Three scenarios, really common, everyday scenarios to the people in Corinth. Okay, So this is very contextualized to that day and age. But let's look at these quickly. Look at verse 25 and 26. This is the first one. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So in verse 25 there, what he's talking about is that market I mentioned at the beginning, right? So after animals are sacrificed in the temple, the, the, the meat is brought out and it's cut up and it's, it's put out in a way that people can come and buy it, right? And so he's saying, don't, don't raise a, a big deal. Don't make a big deal when you go and you buy meat in the market. It's okay. Like you're free to buy meat, even meat that's sacrificed to idols. Now don't go participate in the pagan worship services, but... You, can, you are free to buy meat in the market. And then in verse 26, that's a quote from a psalm. I believe it's Psalm 24. And that's that psalmist, and that psalm is just saying, we should, when we sit down to eat, we should thank God for the blessings he gives us in a particular meal. So he's, so he's kind of using that as saying, when you eat food, thank God for it. God provided that food for you. Enjoy it. You have freedom to eat any kind of food you want in that particular scenario. Let's look at the next one. Verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now remember, our horizontal relationships, how we handle, talk to other people, interact with other people, is a direct reflection of God. And it, it determines whether we glorify God in that moment or not. So we're, he, he sets up the scenario, you're at another person's house, they're not a follower of Jesus, and they put some food down for you to eat. What he's saying, don't ask them, hey, is, has, this meat, has this meat been in the temple? What's the relationship between the, the pagan worship services and this meat that's on my plate? He's saying, don't do that. Eat what is set before you. Don't, don't um, set your conscience aside. If you're thinking about that, set it aside. Don't raise any question. Eat the food that is put before you in that scenario. He changes it a little bit in the third scenario, verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. It really means their conscience. Um, I do not mean your conscience, but his. Okay, so what Paul is saying here is basically saying if that in that same scenario, if you're at a, someone's house who doesn't believe how you believe, and they actually bring it up. 
there's something about their conscience that's telling them, hey, I should, I should mention to them that this food, this meat has come from a pagan sacrifice, a, a service, and we bought it in the market. And so if they do that because of their conscience, he's saying don't eat it. Because something about their conscience has kind of caused them to bring that up. And it may be something where you, you put a stumbling block in their way to actually seeing God for who he truly is. So he's saying take the safe route, route there and don't eat it. Okay, so he changes the scenario there. Now, based off of that advice, he gets this question. This is a rhetorical question, most commentators think. In verse 29, he says, For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So what Paul is anticipating here is based off his previous teachings in this passage, he's thinking, well, someone's surely going to bring up this by saying, why should someone else's conscience determine my freedom? Why should that happen? I'm free to eat this. You just told us that we're free to eat this kind of food. But what Paul is saying here is put that other person before yourself. If, that, if you think that it's coming from a place of their conscience, don't eat it. Like you, you need to put them before yourself because that's what glorifies God in this moment. So you can see in these scenarios, Paul is really getting into the nitty-gritty of the mundane. These are, these are situations that the, 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 the uh, Christian in Corinth would have come um, up against all the time, right? Eating with other people, eating, buying meat in the marketplace. All these temples were, this was a part of everyday life in the city. So he's trying to help them navigate this idea of glorifying God in all things, which means even the mundane, even the day in and day out things of life. Let's look at verse 31. We've already covered this, but let's, let's read it again. So whether you eat or drink, and he says so there, right? So based off of everything he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God. So saying, this is why I do this. Is so I'm not going to offend anybody else, Jew, Greek, church of God, anything. I don't want to offend people. So I want to do all things to the glory of God. Verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. If you just read that, you may say, well, was Paul a people pleaser? Was that what he was about, the approval of other people? Then he, he, he challenges that in the very next phrase. He says, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So he's saying, I'm not doing this just so people will like Paul. I don't need to be seen great in the eyes of people. I want to be thought of, I want to try to please people because that's what's going to glorify God in the moment. In these secondary issues, I don't really care and I don't have to fight every battle because ultimately, my ultimate goal is that God would get glory and people would be saved. That's why I'm here. That's what I do. So I'm willing to, to lose battles. I'm willing to kind of take the high road, just kind of please people in certain situations. But we know in general, there were, Paul stood up for truth a lot. But he's saying in these kinds of matters, these everyday mundane things, be willing to lay your preferences down for the sake of others. And we can see here, and we've seen in the past uh, several chapters, that for the church in Corinth, their biggest things were knowledge and rights. These things come up over and over and over in this letter. Um, how much we know, they valued education, they valued intellect, they, they took a lot of their self-righteousness from their education and also from their rights. Now that they were followers of Jesus, they were demanding, this. it's my right, I can do this, I can do that. That's clear from how Paul addressed them in this letter. But knowledge and rights were not important for Paul. What was most important for Paul was freedom and love. Freedom to, to, to lay the, a person's preferences down, freedom to, to lay down their life for the sake of others in order to love other people. 
So Paul's end goal was not to get the approval of others, but to glorify God. And in these moments, the way to glorify God was to seek the approval of other people in certain situations. And then finally, this last verse here, and it's kind of strange that this is the first verse of chapter 11, but most commentators kind of think that the way that our Bibles now have been broken up is wrong, that this verse should actually go back into chapter 10. But we're going to read it because it's the same thought process in Paul. He says, finally, and this is kind of his mic drop moment, right? He goes, be imitators of me as I am, as I am of Christ, period. Like, that's how he ends it. He ends it strong, very direct. That's it. So what he's saying here is follow my example because I'm following Jesus' example. And he's the one who did it perfectly. So for us, in our time, in our age, we can look at Paul, but we can also look back to Jesus as the one who ultimately did all of this perfectly, who was perfect in the way he glorified God the Father, and perfect in the way he loved his neighbor, he loved his enemy, he loved the tax collector, he loved the sinner. He was perfect in all these things, so he is the one we are to look to um, as the way to live this out. See, John chapter 1, verse 14, John says, And the word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's this word again. And we have seen his glory. There's that word, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Like he is the glory. He is, the, he is the, the, the perfect personification of God himself. He is God in the flesh. When we look at Jesus, we are seeing what God is like. So we can say that God's grace is the pinnacle or the apex of his glory. That's the main thing about his glory is his grace. And we find that the, 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 the hinge point of his grace is the gospel, the person and work of Jesus. You think about the incarnation. Jesus lived in the mundane. He was born like any of us were born from a woman, right? He lived, he had a childhood, right? And we see some of that in the scriptures, not a lot, but he, he grew up just like any of us, uh, of us grew up. He did normal things that humans do, right? We often forget about this, but I'm sure that um, he woke up groggy after a bad night's sleep. Can you imagine Jesus doing that? He woke up in the morning with really bad breath, right? Like that he was a human, right? He got colds like we did. He had to keep his beard clean somehow, right? He had to keep that thing cut and clean, right? Um, and th these were the kinds of things he did. We could go on and on and on to talk about it, the humanity of Jesus, right? The, the humility of Jesus to do the kinds of things we did. He lived in the mundane. We like to think of all the things he did, the miracles, but he was also a human being for 33 years and lived the same mundane moments we do. Perfectly loved his neighbor, perfectly loved his enemy, but he didn't sacrifice glorifying God the Father for the sake of the tax collector and the sinner. He still made much of God by loving people that didn't act like him, didn't agree with him. He was willing, as we should be, to lay down our preferences, our desires, and our lives when it comes to the secondary issues that Paul is talking about in this passage, because Jesus did the same thing. A pastor and, and writer by the name of John Piper has had a huge influence on me in this area, talking about glorifying God and really what does that mean and putting it in some tangible language. His, his kind of life um, statement and, and, the, and the, the statement that his ministry has been built off of is this. It's God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And Paul would say in this passage that we are most satisfied in God when we are knowing, loving, and following Jesus. When our sights are set on Jesus. That's what verse 11.1 says there. Chapter 11, verse 1. 
But I want to talk just briefly and kind of move towards the end here, talking about what, what are the barriers to this? Like what keeps us from glorifying God? What keeps us from magnifying God, shining a spotlight on God um, and, and who he really is in all of his splendor and beauty? And, and Piper um, says two things. He says pain and pleasure are the two things that get in the way of glorifying him. Um, and I would add a third, and that's really complacency or, or boredom. And so let's quickly go through these three things. And again, pain and pleasure in and of themselves aren't bad. What Piper is saying is they can become a distraction to our aim at glorifying God or to give him glory. So let's take pain, right? Pain, when we experience pain or discomfort of really any kind in our life, um, can cause us to value something or show us that we're valuing something else more than God. We can become angry at God that we have this pain, that it's robbing us of our comfort. And it makes us want to be done with the pain more than we want to actually glorify God. So the pain becomes our focus rather than the glorification of God. But in pain, there's this awesome opportunity to glorify God by showing showing. Uh, really ourselves into the world, how much uh, more we value him than we value our comfort um, or being free from this pain. And, and Jay talked uh, quite a bit about this idea of pain last week, so we won't get into any more of that. Let's look at pleasure, though. Let's look at pleasure. The second thing that Piper mentions, a barrier to glorifying God. And what pleasure does, it causes us to cherish or love something else more than God. Not my, making us angry at God, but by making us forget God. Like we take his gifts, we take the things he's given, given us, and we're so satisfied in those gifts. We love those gifts so much that we forget about him. That we become, we glorify the gift. We worship the gift rather than the one who gave us that gift. The, the, the God, the, the, the person who loves us that is behind those gifts. And we see this come out in Romans 1. And this is like one of the most clear definitions of sin that we have in the scripture. Romans 1, verses 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So the problem with us and the problem with when we get gifts from God is making so much of those gifts that we, that we exchange the glory that should go to God, we take that glory and give it to the gifts. We give it to things that he gives us and make those our little G gods or make those the things we worship and we just forget about the one who actually gave us these gifts. And what Piper is say, would say is he would say that God is glorified when we take pleasure in those gifts, but we quickly point and we remember the one who actually gave us those gifts. That we say, this is great, this food tastes wonderful, but man, how, how wonderful is a God who creates food that makes us feel this way, that hits these different things on our tongues and it brings out these flavors. This is how we worship God through um, even food, right? And then the third one I, I will add is complacency and boredom, right? I think we, complacency and boredom is an enemy to us glorifying God because back to my example, my story at the beginning of, of my own life, like there was 
so much of my early days as a follower of Jesus that I just went to ex- from experience to experience, from mountaintop to mountaintop, looking for that next spiritual high. But in truly, like 90% of our lives are made up of the mundane, the hours and minutes of just boredom or just normal stuff. This is the majority of our lives. So if we're going to follow Jesus, if he's going to be the Lord of all of our lives, we have to learn how to glorify him in the mundane. So asking questions like, how do we sleep to the glory of God? How do we study to the glory of God? How do we eat to the glory of God? How do we rest in our boredom to the, to the glory of God? How do we do those things, taking anything in the mundane moment by moment of our lives and asking, how can we give praise, give honor, put the spotlight on him in this moment? And we can take any moment of our life and give glory back to God. And these barriers, pain, pleasure, and boredom are, are important things to remember and think about as we attempt to glorify God, especially if you're watching this and you don't follow Jesus and you don't, don't believe in Jesus. Maybe one of your issues with, with Christianity is that it's just a bunch of rules and that we're just killjoys, that we just look for pleasures and we just want to kill everyone's pleasure. That is not true. This, this, this whole idea kind of confirms that. Actually, Christianity allows us to take the gifts and, and, and enjoy them and take pleasure in them, but it doesn't stop there because we're actually enjoying the one who gave us the gifts, the same ones that you're probably enjoying as well. And it gives us a way to handle pain. Oftentimes we say, well, because there's bad things happen or there's pain in our life, there must not be a God. But, but it, it, in God's plan, he, he allows us to go through those things to be able to, to shape us and to help us and to change us. Even though that's really, really hard in the moments, there's actually a purpose behind pain rather than pain just being terrible. That is the Christian message. That is um, and in the boredom. Like so much of our life is trying to entertain ourselves and get rid of these feelings of being bored. But what if God wanted to meet us in our boredom? What if he wanted to connect with us in those spaces of boredom? So this idea of, of Christianity being um, uh, boring or a, a killjoy or a, bu- a bunch of rules is just not true. Now, the last thing I'll mention is this quick list that actually is from John Piper. And this article he gives us is um, called... Um, he calls it drinking orange, orange juice to the glory of God. And the process he would go through as he drinks orange juice to be able to glorify the drinking of orange juice. Here are the list of six things really quickly. First, he says to recognize that gift came from God. Just to, just to, to begins with that, just to say, I know this gift I'm enjoying actually comes from God. It just didn't appear out of nowhere. It actually came from God. So recognize the gift. Number two, thank him for the gift. God, thank you for giving me this. Thank you for giving me this thing that brings me pleasure. The third one, realize that we don't deserve it, right? Don't don't act like that we're entitled to the things he gives us, to, to life, to health, to family, to a job, all of those things. Realize and allow the humility to be produced when we say we don't deserve the things that God has given us. Fourth, Ask, how does this gift and my enjoyment of it show me more of God's character? Right? So, so when we take anything that he's given us, we say, how, how am I enjoying this? And why does this, and how does this, as I think about God giving me this, how does this show me more about his love, his care, his fatherhood nature, any of those things? Five, and I, will, I will find a way to share that gift with others. So we take that gift, our enjoyment of it, and we try to share that with others. 
We, we allow God to get more glory as we share the good gifts he's given us with others. And then lastly, uh, number six, um, how will I use this process to glorify God in the next gift and enjoy God in the next gift? So allowing that process to say, okay, this is a, this is a habit. This is a process I can do again. So the next mundane or normal thing that comes into our lives, we can go through the same process and God can get more glory and the cycle continues and continues. So my prayer for us today is that we would be able to glorify God by focusing on Jesus, by, by experiencing freedom and joy in Jesus in the mundane, in the boring. So this week I challenge you to find one way this week that you can take this process and walk through it to be able to glorify God even in the mundane moments of this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this idea of, of glory and what it means to glorify you. And we can take that word and make it this uber spiritual word that we throw out that we don't understand, but it just simply means to make much of you in moment by moment of our lives, to make you look good what, no matter what we're doing in the moment. It doesn't have to be a mountaintop experience. It doesn't have to be this amazing camp experience or um, this amazing um, conference we go to, although those things are important, but we can enjoy you and glorify you in the mundane in the normal stuff of everyday life, in our pleasure, in our pain, and even in our boredom. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be the kind of people that glorify you in the mundane moments of life. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.